0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to c Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, listen. We're we're talking about um, over this last little while. We've been talking about uh, how to thrive at Christmas. How to thrive? You know, I, and I guess the thing is, when we use a title like "How to Thrive at Christmas," it kind of almost uh, indicates that maybe uh, the natural default is not necessarily thriving. Right. Uh, maybe naturally, or you know, the way Christmas goes in North America, it might be a little stressful. Anybody? Any, anybody find some things that are a little stressful? You know, maybe uh, you know, buying Christmas presents, the pressure of uh, family gatherings. Anybody gets stressed about family gatherings? Two, one person, two people. Oh yeah, there's a whole row back there that are just stressed about having to put their hand up, and uh, you know it's just it's it's it it is it's just kind of this stressful time. It can be this stressful time, which is crazy because it's supposed to be a celebratory, excited time, because that's when Jesus came. I mean, that's that's the point, and yet it's uh, it's almost like somebody's trying to rob our joy. You know, it's almost like all those kinds of things going on, and so you know, I, I want to, and uh, you know, so we've been taking this time to just kind of talk about how to thrive, and I want to give you just uh, some keys this morning, or just some insights maybe that'll help you, not just at Christmas time, but the rest of our 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 life, the rest of the year, uh, when we're encountering things that can take away our joy, we're encountering things that can just kind of really unsettle us and leave us kind of feeling unstable in life, because those things happen. And uh, my uh, my text today, if you got your Bibles along, it's in uh, it's in Philippians chapter four, which is not a Christmas chap uh, uh, not a Christmas passage. Just in case you're fact checking me right up front, uh, it's not a Christmas uh, 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 passage. It's a Pauline. It's called. It's written by the apostle Paul, and uh, it's written to a church in a little town in Asia called Philippi. And that church in Philippi was, you know, very unique. But Paul is writing them expressing, almost like John did today, he's almost expressing some of his experiences and some of what's gone on and kind of what he's learned through it. In Philippians chapter 4, 10 to 14, and if you follow along I'm reading in the New Living Translation, it says, How I praise praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. For I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, not that I was ever in need, interesting thing, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, even so you've done well, to share with me in my present difficulty. Come on, let's pray. Let's ask God to just uh, uh, put his stamp on his word today in your heart, in our hearts, so that we um, uh, so that God can do something in us and through us as a result of it. Father, just pray right now as we uh, accept your word, as we take your word in, Father, that it would penetrate our hearts. God, that you would use your word to separate soul and spirit. God, that you would uh, cause us to understand and God, that we grow through your word today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. There's, a, there's a little word in there, and, and you might have a different translation, you might be reading in, but this little word in, uh, in verse 12, it says, I know how to live o- on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living. Right. That word secret is kind of an important little word here. Secret of living, it, it, and we're not going to go into kind of the, the Greek tense or anything like that, but in the, in the original language, Paul is kind of giving this expression, or it's the same expression that would be used to indicate somebody that's being initiated into a, into a mysterious rite. It's almost like an, an initiation kind of idea, that he's been initiated into a mystery, I think uh, the ability to live life content is a bit of a mystery. Anybody discovered it's a little bit of a mystery? It's, uh, and sometimes it feels a little elusive? And like, where is that? It's, it's this mystery. And so Paul describes, he said, "I've, I've been initiated into the mystery of contentment." I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you encounter people in your life and they just seem like they, you know, they're just calm, they're cool, they got everything, you know, they, everything. Nothing seems to faze them. Don't you hate them? <laughs> I, I mean, not, you know, hate them with the love of God, you know. You know what I'm saying. I'm not, we're not really hating them. We're just, we're just recognizing that, you know, I, I just want to be like them. I, I wish things didn't bother me. I wish I didn't do that. And I want to know their secret. I want to know what keeps them. From uh, getting into those kinds of things, what keeps them from being stressed out? Because here's Paul saying, he's saying, look, at, he said it doesn't matter whether I have a little bit or I have a lot. He said I'm 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 not phased by it. I'm I've just learned how to be content. I've learned how to be content. There's a couple of things in our in our world today that that are actually quite how would I put it? They're driving factors in our culture that often take away our contentment. Three particular things that, that are prevalent are just kind of facts in North American culture that drive us. And you know, the interesting thing about culture is most of the time we don't even recognize the culture around us. Right. That's right. We don't recognize and we just kind of go, well, that's just the way it is. Somebody wants to define the word culture and they said, uh, "The culture is, that's just the way we do it around here. Right. And that culture as being a canadian the culture being north american there's some cultural things that kind of drive us but they attack our contentment one of them is uh, we live in a culture that's very performance driven anybody heard or seen a book in the last year that had something to do with success yeah everyone Uh, not just secular books but also christian books how to succeed we're driven by performance. Okay. We beat ourselves up when we don't achieve. We beat ourselves up when we don't accomplish. We get upset with ourselves when we don't do as well as somebody else. Okay. We live in a culture that is constantly comparing. I don't w- really watch commercials on television, thankfully for Netflix. Netflix, And I'm uh, glad, you know, I I, I, hate, I hate commercials. But those commercials, they're always kind of trying to drive you to, to, to be like somebody else or to perform like somebody else. Or, you know, if you just had this, you'd be so much better in your world. And performance culture, we live in a performance culture. We also driven—we live in an appearance-driven culture. My wife makes sure I look appropriate when I come to service. And I know, Trent, your wife does that for you, too. You should, and uh, um, so <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, but you know, we 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 do care about what people think of how we look. In the Old Testament, there's this little story about the prophet Samuel, and he's coming to pick the next king. Saul had been the king, and Saul had just kind of messed up, and and God says, "Look, we need to get somebody else," and so he goes to this. Uh, the home of a man by the name of Jesse who has a number of sons, and as the sons, as Samuel's getting ready to pick pick the next king, he says, uh, he says, bring your sons out. As he brings his sons out, he he looks at the first one, and Samuel does what every one of us do. He looks at the guy, and he says, man, this guy's good-looking. He must be a good leader. He's, he, you know, he's, he's, he's got it together. He's tall. Yeah. Definitely a sign of good leaders. He's got... Red hair, Well, he used to, sign a good. Uh, I used to have red hair. Okay, you're getting it, and uh, you know he look at it and go like, look at that beard. No, it's. <laughs> and, uh, he, but he looks at Samuel. Or he looks at he looks at uh, uh, Jesse's oldest son, and he goes like, this guy looks like the right guy, and God says to him, no, he's not. He says because the world, everybody else, looks on the outward appearance. We do look on the outward appearance but God looks in the heart. But we do, the fact of that statement is we do look on the outward appearance. How many times have we been guilty of seeing somebody and making a judgment? We wouldn't call it a judgment, we call it an assessment. We look at them and we go, well, I don't know if that person is trustworthy. I read a study along ago, which is, I haven't told my wife this yet, but I read this study not that long ago that uh, they, they did a survey on, uh, of men and who people intuitively trusted more, and they discovered that men with beards were intuitively more trustworthy. Telling you the truth. You believe me, right? It's funny that we can study those kinds of things and that we even care about those kinds of things whether somebody's trustworthy by what they look like as opposed to what they say in their track record, but we're driven in our world by a culture that is appearance-driven. Yeah. See, gentlemen, gentleman I know and I don't know well, I've met him a few times, but he uh, lives here in Kelowna. He's, he's quite well off. He's had a number of successful businesses. But anytime I run into him, in my head I have a hard time reconciling his success with his appearance because he looks like he doesn't have a home. (laughs) On the other hand, I I know somebody else who doesn't have a home, and they show up in church, and, and I would think that they must be living in one of the nicest houses, clean, dressed, everything else, but I know they don't have a home. So often the appearance is not just what drives us, but it also confuses us. But we live in an appearance-driven culture, we live in a performance-driven culture, we live in an appearance-driven culture, but we also live in a possession-driven culture. Anybody ever heard it said that whoever dies with the most toys wins? Yes, I know, it's not true. I'm just saying, have you heard it? It's, It's not true because there's a corollary statement that goes you've never seen a hearse with a u-haul behind it you can't take it with you it's not about what we possess it's what we send ahead right. That's right. if you've been doing the book study on the disciple on disciple by pastor Phil in one of our book studies you know that there's this uh, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the the setting up treasures for ourselves in heaven setting it ahead because what we have here is only intended to be used to put, send ahead but yet we live in this possession-driven culture. It's my car as nice as the car next to me. They have this and I don't have this. And the devil plays on our, in, our, our insecurities and our jealousy and sometimes on our, our, our whole, um, the Bible calls it covetedness. We want what somebody else has. We can say we're over it, but the truth is we still wrestle with it. So how can we be content when our whole culture is fighting against us. It's hard to be content when we're performance-oriented. It's hard to be content when we're appearance-oriented. It's hard to be content when we're possession-driven. So how do we be content? Well, Paul says it's a secret. So we'll know when have no, not when we get to have... Paul says it's a secret, I, and it is a secret. I live in an apartment building. We, well, my wife and I, we live in an apartment building. And uh, the apartment building is, is an interesting place to live. How many of you live in apartments? A few of you. Apartments are, are interesting because you're living right next to somebody and you can hear the noise from their place. Some, some are better, some are worse. Uh, we can hear whatever movie the people downstairs from us are playing. Uh, we can also hear when their kids are having a party. And I'm sure they can hear when our grandkids are over. I just don't want to go down and ask them. We, we hear all these kinds of things. There's, there's all this noise that transfers from our apartment to the apartment below us, and from the apartment below us to the apartment below us, we're on the third floor. I was installing uh, flooring in the bathroom one day, and I it was just, you know, I had only a couple pieces left, and normally we would stop by 10 o'clock or so, but I was I was still installing flooring a little late in the night, and I had to bang the pieces in and the the person, all of a sudden I hear a knock on my door. It's not the person below me, it's the person below them. Saying, look, at, i got to get up in the morning, and I can't sleep with all that noise. See, here's, here's what happens in, a, in an apartment building. Let me give you a little, you know, fortunately there's not any ac- actual carpenters in town. There's just in, in service that I don't think. But here's, here's what happens. Is that, is, is that, is that, a, is that a, a floor is built, it's got two-by-sixes or two-by-twelves or, you know, floor joists across. And then the plywood's fastened to the top of that. And underneath that is the next unit, and they fasten drywall to that. But when you step on the floor, you see, sound doesn't just travel through air. It also travels through solid surfaces. And so because the plywood's fastened to the joists and the drywall's fastened to the joists, well, when you step on the top... The bottom vibrates. That's sound. I mean, you've followed me so far. What happens in this room is completely out of the control of the person down here. It's entirely up to the person up here because sound travels and it travels through vibrations through things. And the problem in our life, the reason that we suffer so much with. Discontentment is because this thing up here, over which we have no control, it impacts and it vibrates down here. But there's this interesting, uh, interesting technique. I learned about it from another friend who lives in the same apartment as I do because he would—he's sl- a social worker and he'd sleep, you know, very unusual uh, shifts. And their bedroom, he said, I- we couldn't even go to sleep because it was so noisy. He said so. I talked to a specialist on sound and all kind of stuff, and, and we found out there's a there's a technique that you can do with the drywall. He said, so we took all of our drywall, all of the all of the uh, um, uh, wallboard off. We took it all off the ceiling. And then he said, we put this device in, it's called a decoupler. And, and essentially what it is, it's almost like a little rubber shock absorber that separates the floor joist from the drywall. So instead of the sound being able to go directly through the joist into the drywall and then vibrate below, it actually hits a sound dampener. Something in between that, because it's decoupled, there's something in between, so the sound can't go through. And I asked him, does it work? Oh, he said, you can't believe the difference. He said, it's absolutely unbelievable how much difference there is because I decoupled the drywall. I decoupled my life from the outside life i decoupled my life from a life that is not under my control i want to suggest to you today and i'm going to give you some bible to back this up but the the secret that paul talks about here the secret of contentment is for us to decouple our life from the outside world now, there's a device in between that helps decouple, and I'm, I'm going to tell you today that that device, for lack of a better term, is God. In, uh, let me take you to this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter, or sorry, in, uh, where to go? Right here. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. So this is the world. This is where everything's going on. This is where the noise is. This is where the discontentment. This is where the performance is. This is where the appearance is. This is where the possession-drivenness is. And my life is in here. But in between that, we have God. Paul says, or Peter says, he says, he says the first thing we do is, he says, we give... All our worries and all our cares. Where do our worries and cares come from? They come from outside. I, I heard uh, John say in his little testimony, I don't know if you caught it, but he said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be as complacent about travel. What was he saying? It's my son-in-law, so I'll put some words into his mouth. But he's saying, I'm going to worry a little bit more when I travel. That's really what he's saying. I'm going to worry I didn't worry before but I'm I'm going to worry a little bit more. But what's the Bible saying it says I'm going to cast that worry on God because he's going to be the separator, he's going to be the decoupler between my life and the world around us. So I begin to decouple my life by saying, okay, I'm I'm starting to get anxious, starting to get worried. What do I do? I'm giving this to God, because when I give it to God, that's where it stops, right? That's the whole point of a decoupler, is it stops things transferring through. God, I'm giving this to you, so it stops. I'm giving it to you, so it stops, so I I don't have to worry about it anymore. Give all your worries and cares to God. In another translation, uh, which I learned when I was growing up, it says, cast all your cares on him. I love that translation actually way better. This idea of Everything I'm worried about, everything that's stressing, everything over which I have no control. How many of us realize that about 90% of what we actually get stressed about, we have no control over. We get stressed about stuff over which we have no control. He says, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to cast it. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to throw it up to God, because he's going to handle it. I have no control over it. I can't control the noise. In the apartment next door, but if I decouple, I stop worrying. It stops affecting me. It stops flowing through the the stress of our world around. You know, the last couple of years, we've gone through a lot of stuff in our world. And it's easy to get stressed out. It's easy to get anxious. It's easy to get discontent in our world. But when we decouple and say, God, you're in charge. God, you're the one that's taking care of this. God, you're the one that's looking after this. Father, you're in control. Like many people, I, I didn't always like every decision our government made. I'm not getting political. But God's still in control. Whether I agree or disagree, uh, God's still in control. The things over which I have no control, God. I give too. I don't like, there's lots of things that happen in my life I don't like lots of times you're driving down the road and somebody does something that you think they shouldn't do. Incidentally, they can't hear you when you yell at them. Let's hope not. But we sometimes carry that forever. Oh, you know what? That person cut me off. I'm just going to hang on to that. Every time I go past that section of Harvey Street, I'm going to remember where that truck pulled right across in front of me and then accused me of cutting him off. Yeah, that happened. And, and and i'm going to carry that here. instead of giving it away because i got no control over that i'm not going to stress about that i don't need to waste my energy on that i don't need to let that get into my emotions i got enough trouble with my own emotions being where i want them to be as it is i don't need extra emotional baggage so the first thing we do the secret that paul's giving us is we give we give that care away we give that worry away we give that back what's stressing you today What's, what's going on in your world? I'm stressed that my family's not going to behave when they get together. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm not. God, I can't control that. Give that to you. God, I've got to give that to you. God, I'm worried about the bills. God, I've got to give that to you. God, I'm worried about the not having enough time. God, i am got to give that to you. I'm worried that I'm not going to like what I get for Christmas. I'm going to give that to you. I'm just going to give it. First thing he's got to give. it. The second thing that Paul, uh, that, uh, that Scripture tells us is this, and Paul says this in Philippians, he says, "Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything." Yeah. So first thing we do is give. The second thing we do is pray. The second thing we do is pray. You know, prayer is a lot more powerful than most of us realize. And the reason I say that, and one of the reasons that that I I think demonstrates that is is prayer for most people is one of the most difficult things to get into the regular habit of doing. I've been a pastor for a long time, talked to a lot of people, and you know, I, I know people get into the habit of going to church. Sometimes that's a hard habit, but people do that. They get into that habit. Then the same people that are in the habit of going to church, the next thing they fight is they fight the idea of of reading their Bible regularly. It's just hard. It's a discipline. It's hard. But people do that. And then that third thing, that third thing, though, prayer. I don't know how many times I talk to people and say, you know, I'm going to church all the time. I've finally been reading my Bible all the time, but man, I struggle praying. Because at Prayer, at that level of prayer, is where we have this relationship where we know how to live our life, but also where we give and where we're able to release things to God. I don't know how many times we've kind of looked at prayer the same way we look at other communication. Well, God, I told you once, you must know it. I don't know how many times as a leader, you know, I've tried to communicate something to a group of people, and I told them once, and then why didn't they still remember that? You know, my, my wife is, um, she's a great cook, and she loves the kitchen, and that's her domain. I'm not allowed to really touch anything in there. And, uh, but I can put away the dishes from the dishwasher. I'm allowed. Um, I can. I'm still allowed. I, I am allowed. But one of the things that that I know frustrates her to no end is when I pull something out of the dishwasher and I say, where does this go? We've lived in that house for 15 years. And she goes, where does this go? No, I'm saying, where does this go? And so if she's not home, I leave it on the counter. Why'd you leave it on the counter? Because I don't know where it goes. (sighs) What do you mean you don't know where it goes? I've told you where it goes. Yeah, but I don't care. Some of you look at it and go, he just told the truth, didn't he? Because <laughs> I don't really care where it goes. Because I can ask her. But she's frustrated because, you know, I thought you'd, you know, I told you where it goes. I don't expect to keep having to tell you this same thing over and over and over and over again. God, I just gave it to you. No, you didn't. You just told me. So why, why, why does why does Jesus teach us that we keep praying. He who keeps praying, keeps praying, keeps praying, keeps praying. Not repeating ourselves like Pharisees who have no power in that, but because we're genuinely trying to get this given away. We're genuinely trying to come to this. Say, well, I prayed about it once and nothing happened. Well, keep praying. Well, God, I prayed that you would heal. Keep praying. God, I, I prayed that I wouldn't worry about this anymore. Keep praying, because every time we pray, we enter into a partnership and a relationship with Jesus that allows us to transfer things to him and for him to put new good things into our life. But it doesn't happen in casual conversations. Let me, let me, let me put it this way. Jesus wants, with the Holy Spirit in you, wants more than a prayer, he wants a conversation and a relationship. And as we do that, as we begin to do that, we find ourselves moving into what Paul calls this secret of contentment because I have the one thing I really need. I love that song that we were singing this morning and um, I, I actually believe that as we've been singing that song, it's a seed that God's putting in our life. That song, no one, no one, no one. Uh, If I can put it this way, it's just because we sang the song didn't make it true. But the more we rehearse that, the more we meditate on that, the more we keep coming back to that spot, the more we keep saying, God, there's no one like you. You know, over the last year, and we're getting near to the end of the year, and over the last year, I would, I would have to say that the biggest message I feel like God has put on my heart, the biggest emphasis in my spirit has been, I, I want you to follow me. And, you know, when I say that, you know, I, I almost say it, 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 almost with a bit of embarrassment, because I feel like. Uh, I kind of feel like Peter, you know. God, I thought I was following you. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Yeah, I love you. I really like you. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? Oh, I really like you. Peter, do you really like me? I really like you. And I kind of feel when God comes and says, Hey, would you follow me? It's like I've had to re examine, continue to re examine all those things that keep getting ahead of my love for God. You know? We don't totally get the idea of idols and all of the rest of that, but there's these things that keep getting ahead of my love for God. My love for people to say, you know, you're doing a good job sometimes gets more important than my love for God. Sometimes that... Affirmation of somebody saying, hey, that was a great message that gets ahead of my love for God. I think for all of us, God's calling us to a, a deeper level of love for him. Give God what worries us. Pray instead of be anxious. But above all, love the Lord your God with your entire heart. I think as Paul tries to let us in on the secret, he said, I've learned the contentment secret. I've learned the mystery of contentment. But the very bottom line, fundamental thing is that we love the Lord our God with our whole heart. Nothing else gets that place. Nothing else gets that spot in our life. And when we do that, I have everything I need. I don't need anything else. Do I think it's easy to get there? No. Do I think it's a magical formula? No. Do I think we have to keep over and over going there? Absolutely. But when we do, we learn what Paul says. I don't really want to go through everything Paul went through to find that you can look at some of his other letters and discover that he was beaten and bruised and shipwrecked and stoned and not that kind of stone you know with real stones and he was all these kinds of things that happened to him and he had to escape and a few times he was left for dead i prefer not to do that i'd learn like to learn how to be content on kind of less extreme lessons just sing it but if that's what it takes that's what it takes Today my prayer and ultimately the summation of what I say today is when we follow Jesus with our whole heart that's where contentment is. That's the place. When we choose to do that we'll probably discover there's some things that we have to give back to God. There's some things that we have to let go of because they're not for God. But if we're committed to that we'll find that place where God wants us to be. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I just pray today that we would would just be able to take in this word. God, I know you're calling us to follow you. I know that in everything in our life, the secret of contentment really is to follow you with our whole heart. That the one word that we live our life for is that word when you say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, that that's the chief end of our life. That's our whole desire that you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I ask today, just in these closing moments of this gathering today, that you would, by your spirit, you'd speak to us. You'd remind us, God, that you want us to follow you. And that in, only in following you do we find fulfillment. Only fulfillment. In following you do we find contentment. Father, I pray today that we would hear what you're saying and God, we would act on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.